Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. Heidi is a motivational psychologist and researcher. She writes about scientifically tested strategies we can use to become more effective in reaching our goals at work and in our personal lives. And in this interview, we're going to dive deep into what makes some people reach their goals and others fail. We'll talk about why keeping your options open can be a really bad thing. We'll talk about which goals are worth setting and which ones will actually make you happy. And we'll talk about why happiness leads to success and not the other way around. Hey, Heidi. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're honored. So we're going to jump right in, and I'd love to hear a bit about your story and some of the challenges that you faced as a young adult. Um, you know, I think I, um, it, weirdly, even though though I'm, you know, a little bit a little bit older, I'm almost forty now. Um, but my my path was, I think, similar in some ways to what what people are experiencing now. I had kind of uh, for for much of my life thought that I would kind of go a certain route. I had been planning on. Um, you know, being a professor from the time that I knew what a professor was. Uh, I thought originally I was going to be a chemistry professor, went to college and realized that um, while chemistry is very interesting, chemists can be uh, not the most fun group of people. <laughs> At least the ones I were working with weren't. And, uh, and, so, and, and I was sort of feeling a little bit lost and like, hmm, this isn't really what I thought it would be. And then I ended up uh, switching to psychology. I was just taking psychology to fulfill a requirement, and it seemed so fascinating to me that here is this subject matter that's a science, but it's also you know, about people and about what we do every day and what's more interesting than that. So I, uh, I ended up switching gears and became a professor of psychology, but then found after a while that that wasn't really fulfilling for me either. Um, and I found that, that you know, I was, um, even though, again, I thought the research was so fascinating and so interesting that um, I, but I also felt that, um, that I, I felt dis- disconnected. I felt like there, there was a sense in which I was sitting on all this really great information and not able to share it, you know, with the people who could really use it, other than, you know, the people that, the, the undergraduates who would take my classes, um, you know, or the other academics that would read my papers, it really wasn't kind of getting out there. And so I, I kind of shifted gears again and, uh, and ended up, you know, and that, and that time around, really, I think I was sort of flying blind. I, I really didn't know. I knew I wasn't happy doing what I was doing, but I, I didn't really know how I was going to end up um, fulfilling this desire that I had to kind of connect with people more and to share information, to be somebody who, who brought the science to, to people rather than being primarily somebody who just did research and, and then, you know, wrote it up in academic journals that, that nobody reads. So I, um, I really didn't know how that was going to work. And, and I think I had to spend, I've spent the last five years or so just trying to be very open to possibilities and, uh, and, and really 
you know, it, it's taken a real change in mindset. And one of the things I, I when you when I you told me about the subject of the of the of this you know conference and and you know kind of how can young people really approach uh, their 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 lives and their careers equipped to deal with the situation they're facing today, which is you know really quite a bit of uncertainty. I mean, young people have always had some degree of uncertainty. Um, you know, when you're when you're kind of going from from high school to college, or college to graduate school, you know, or, or college to your first job, that that all that transition always involves a lot of uncertainty. But it seems like it's that if anything is even more so true today. And I think the last five years of my career have been kind of much more like that, really a a, a kind of jumping off into the unknown, um, where before I really felt that everything was was sort of lined out for me in a path where, you know, well, if you want to become a professor, then this, these are the steps you take, and then once you're a professor, these are the steps you take, and it's kind of all, it's all really laid out for you. Um, once I had left that behind, I needed a different kind of psychological skill set to try to survive in, in an environment where I didn't really know what, my, what path I was going to take. I didn't know every, everything about it, every step, and I was trying to just be sort of more open to, well, asking myself, what are the ways that I can, can try to reach this goal of, of connecting more with people? Um, you know, what avenues are open to me, and, and then how can, I, how can I make that a reality? So, so it really does take a very different mindset in order to, to do that without suffering, because uncertainty is sort of fundamentally uh, unpleasant. It, it's something you psychologists have, have known for a long time. Um, you know, we, when, when we look at people in different situations in which they feel uncertain, there's a kind of a, a, a hardwired anxiety of, of when it comes to uncertainty. That we all seem to be sort of programmed by our DNA to want to be able to predict and control what happens to us, you know, the, and be able to, to predict essentially what's going to happen and to be able to then control the situation in such a way that you, you make good things happen for yourself. Uh, I, I think that that's really hardwired. That's sort of a basic human quality, and it's about, you know, surviving. And, and, and so it serves a purpose. But when you're dealing with a very uncertain future, that anxiety can be very uh, crippling. It can be not only unpleasant, but it can actually sort of undermine your ability to, to think clearly, to, to make good decisions, to seize opportunities, to, um, to really enjoy the moment that you're in uh, because you're so worried about what's coming down the road. So, so, so it, I think it's helpful to, to try to, to think differently about your goals. Um, that's one of the things I, I teach in the classes I teach for Entheos and, and also that I talk about a lot in, in my book, that there's really more than one way to think about what we do. And we're so used to thinking about what I, in terms of what I call this be good mindset, where we're used to thinking about our goals in terms of, of you know, um, proving ourselves, val validating ourselves, proving that we have what it takes, proving that we have the ability, and, and kind of thinking of everything we do and the goals we reach as sort of saying something about us, right, as being kind of a, an evaluation of, of who we are um, and, and what we're good at. And, 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 and I think uh, that kind of thinking is, is hard to escape because so much of, of our lives 
you know, we are being judged. We are being evaluated. You know, every time you get a grade, that's an evaluation. Uh, your grades matter. They, they, they determine what kinds of schools you can get into for college, what kind of programs you can get in for grad school, what kind of job you can get afterwards. It, you know, we're, we're used, we're, we, we grow up in this environment of evaluation. So, of course, we think about our goals as, as reflecting on uh, and our successes and failures as reflecting on, on our worth and our competence. Uh, and and it's a, so it's sort of the default mindset, this be good mindset. Most of us don't even realize we think this way because we don't realize there's another way to think. And, um, and so I talk a lot about the alternative to this, which is the, the get better mindset, where you're pursuing the same goals. I mean, at the end of the day, you still want to, to, to reach your goal, to, to be successful, to have loving relationships, to, um, to, to uh, make contributions to your community, to, to do all the same things. But instead of thinking about, reaching your goal as something that's about sort of proving that you are smart, proving that you are talented, proving that you are a good person, um, instead of thinking about them in terms of making progress. So saying, instead of saying, uh, this proves that I'm smart, you say, that, uh, this is really about getting smarter. It's about getting even more talented, developing my talent. It's about becoming a better person. When we make that mental shift and think about our goals as about progress rather than perfection. It, some really wonderful things happen. It turns out we cope with uncertainty much, much more effectively. So we're, we don't become as anxious. Um, it doesn't disrupt our ability to focus on what we're doing, to seize those opportunities when they come along. We enjoy what we do more. And in the end, ironically, people who think about what they're doing in terms of getting better and making progress rather than sort of doing everything perfectly actually turn in the best performances because they're able to really sort of focus on, on what they're doing and the joy of what they're doing and, and to kind of have that wonderful intrinsic motivation, right, where we kind of do things for the sake of doing them. And people who have that routinely perform better. So it's like you can have your cake and eat it too if you sort of mentally shift. And so, I, you know, I think that's one of the, 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 the things I've learned from my journey that I really needed was I was somebody who thought very much in be good terms. I wanted to be the best student. I wanted to be the best graduate student. I wanted to be the best young professor. Um, and that kind of thinking, while it, it, it can be motivating, it can also be very punishing. And, it, and I think it was a, it, it's very difficult to cope with uncertainty or cope with setbacks uh, when you're thinking in those terms. When I decided to shift gears and kind of leap out into the unknown, knowing that I really wanted to connect with people and I just wasn't able to do that in my current job, um, and, and I really kind of very deliberately thought, you know, I have to think about this journey as a journey of getting better rather than being good. And when I first started, I do a lot of blogging, I do a lot of writing. When I first started blogging, I wrote Oh, it's like I might cringe when I read some of the earliest blog posts that I wrote because they were so scientific and academic and dry and, and you know, just not interesting, not anything that sort of grabs you and makes you feel like, oh, this, is, this piece of science that she's talking about is really related to my experience in an important way and it's really useful. Oh, it's terrible. I was just still writing the way I always wrote, you know, which was very kind of lots of jargon. And, and, and so I, um, it was really a process, you know, of, 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 of learning and kind of having to say, wow, I really don't know what I'm doing here. What do the, the best bloggers do and how do they write and, and what can I learn from them? And, and, um, and the thing was that as long as I kept myself in that, mentally in that get better space, 
I actually enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed the process of learning, even though I, you know, even though I, I had to admit to myself I wasn't very good at it yet. Um, I I knew that I was getting better and I was learning. And so now the things I write have the kind of the quality, the conversational quality that I was looking for in the beginning, but I just didn't know how to do. I think we're very impatient with ourselves when we are focused on being good rather than getting better. And we, we don't allow ourselves time to develop and grow, and, and we take setbacks as, as very personal, um, very much a, a, you know, an indictment of our, of our you know, lack of ability or lack of creativity. And we're not really giving ourselves the time that the research shows us that it takes to develop our abilities. You know? and we don't hang in there long enough to really to be, to master things. Um, because you know we're we're just judging ourselves too harshly. So so that's like you know one of the, when you talked to me about this project, I thought well that's one of the first things I'd like to say to young people coming into this environment of uncertainty is that you know uh, give yourself a break. I mean it, it's not it's it's not again it's not like you're not I'm saying oh you don't have to work hard. One of the things that we find is that the people who think in terms of getting better actually work the hardest and they persist the longest and they're grittier. You know, they hang in there um, it, when, when times get difficult and they, and, they, and they even enjoy that process of hanging in there um, and, and they see it as a challenge and they're able to enjoy things that are challenging. So, um, so it's, it's really, you know, that, that stop thinking about, uh, you know, your success as proving something about yourself and focus more on improving. I think that's a wonderful way to take whatever the road kind of hands you and also to be able to, like I said, recognize those opportunities when they come up and you can grab a hold of something, even if it's a little scary, it's something you haven't done before, um, you're kind of plunging off into the unknown, but you handle it uh, with so much more grace and with so much more success. If you... Um, Take yourself a little bit off the hook, allow yourself to make some mistakes, and just know that if you hang in there, there's nothing you can't do. That was a long answer. Yeah, wow. But, I, you, know, but you, know that I tend to, you know that I tend to give long answers. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you were speaking about the process of you blogging and kind of going back and looking at the blogs you initially created and kind of just like, I don't know, going through the archives and seeing them and starting to maybe cringe a little bit, like, like uh-huh. that's what I did, that's where I was. Uh. I, I can completely relate to that, and I feel like a, a bunch of people listening to this call will be able to relate to that either through blogging or just through their own creative processes. Oh, just, sure. You know, the artists and the writers and kind of anybody who does anything looking back at some of that early work and being able to appreciate it for kind of what led them to where they are and kind of almost find a little bit of, it's something sacred or something off, you know, having some awe in it, um, and at the same time, just like I don't want to look at that too much because, like, I'm just not well, ready for that. You right know, now. I think I think it's so important to, for us all to realize that that ability. Even when you look around and you see people who are really successful, this is another theme I harp on all the time. We have we have this tendency in in Western cultures and nowhere more so than in the U.S. to look at successful people and to believe without even necessarily consciously realizing it, that their success is about ability. So we say things like, oh, Steve Jobs, he was such a genius, and, and Bill Gates is a genius, and oh, you know, this person is so creative, and this person is so talented. And when we ask someone why, why was Bill, you know, 
someone like Steve Jobs as successful as he was, the number one answer you get is that he was so brilliant. So we, we, we think about the, the way we explain success to ourselves is, and other people's successes and, and our own is often to immediately go to this idea of ability. And, and usually we mean something like innate ability, right? So you either won the DNA lottery and you end up brilliant like Steve Jobs or you don't, right? And, and that's, that's, that's wrong in two very important ways. One is that um, ability doesn't work that way, first of all. Um, it's not that your genes don't per perhaps uh, give you a predisposition to possibly be, have a knack for certain things, but, but that's all it gives you. It's a predisposition. It's a, it's, it's a starting place. Uh, people who get very good at what they do uh, get there through effort and, and through experience. And that's true of everybody. So, so all abilities, whether you're talking about, and now we know this from, from, again, 30 or 40 years worth of research on everything from, from intelligence to creativity to athleticism, willpower, all of these things that we think of as, oh, pe some people have willpower, other people don't. You know, some, people, some people are creative, other people are not. That, they're, that, they're, that they just kind of came that way into the world. And, and that's just simply not true. Uh, we know that all, all uh, people who are, who are experts, people who really kind of finely honed an ability have done so through hard work and persistence. And that's, that's always, always true. So that's one way in which that kind of thinking is, is wrong, right? You know, people just are not born talented. Uh, talents are, um, are developed and they're expressed through our actions. And if you don't take the right actions, you can have all the ability in the world and it's not going to give you any help. Right. And everybody knows that deep down because every, everyone, I'm sure everyone listening to this call, has known someone who seemed to be really, really smart but was totally unsuccessful and someone who seemed to not be particularly gifted but was incredibly successful. Right? And, and, uh, and, and so we know on some level when we really think about it that ability can't be the answer. Um, because otherwise, IQ would be, do a good job of predicting success, which it doesn't, incidentally. It does a terrible job. Of it doesn't even do a good job of predicting what grades you're going to get, which is, I mean, you would think it would at least do that. Forget predicting who does well in their careers. It, doesn't, it really is a terrible predictor. So, so, it's, so ability isn't the answer in, in that sense. The other sense in which it's true, of course, is that, it's, that you know, you, you, what we find about successful people is that they tend to be successful because of the actions they take, right? It's about what you do more than what you are. So, so it's effort, it's persistence, it's using the right strategies, it's seeking help from experts, being able to cope with the fact that you don't know something and then, you know, getting off, up, off of your butt and, and, and finding somebody who can help you um, to do that. It's seizing opportunities. It's planning. You know, it's making good plans and planning what actions you're going to take uh, and really thinking that through. A lot of times we just sort of say, oh, I, I, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know, a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And, well, okay, well, what's it going to take to actually make that happen? Well, you know, we don't always go to that thinking of that kind of more concrete thinking of, uh, of, you know, well, what will that take? What steps do I need to take in order to make that happen? And so, so those are the things that actually predict success more than anything else. I think that, that if, if you went back and looked at anybody um, who was, you know, very, who was very, very successful, they all, they all have those early stories where they can uh, – they look at what they did when they were young and, and cringe, 
you know, or when they were or, or when they were starting out, and how could I have made a mistake like that? Every successful person has those stories. Even you know, very famously, um, you know, people love to talk about how Mozart was composing uh, when he was five, and it turns out that those compositions were terrible. I mean, they didn't simply, you know, I mean, yes, is, is it not impressive that he could do that? Well, I mean, of course it's impressive. I think it was six maybe, um, you know, when he, was, he, when he was actually, you know, writing music. But they were, um, they were very, you know, if you actually ask people who are experts in music to, to analyze those, that, what he did, I mean, they were kind of, you know, a lot of it was sort of you know, borrowing heavily from what other people had done. There was a lot of copying. It wasn't very, you know, it was nothing like the Mozart that we all know from his later work, right? So, so I mean, even Mozart, who's just an undeniable genius, you know, some of his early stuff probably made him cringe too. And I think, I think that's really important that, you know, we just, we just, we, we think about success and failure in these very, um, our intuitions about success and failure are really wrong. And, and you know, it, it, a lot of it has to do with sort of Americans and how we think about the American dream. And, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about America is that, you know, at least theoretically, the people who are talented and work hard can rise to the top. And, and, and so, you know, we think of ourselves as a meritocracy, you know, a place where the people who, who really do the best uh, work, you know, rise to the top. Um, and then, but, but then we, like, kind of add to it this thing about, well, and those people are the geniuses. Those people are the people that are gifted. Um, and gifts require uh, work in order to to develop. And we are, we all have the, the potential to be much, much better at things. I mean, whether it's, like I said, intelligence, social skill, creativity, willpower, if you don't, if you're not happy with the amount you have now, the good news is you can get more. Uh, and, 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 and it can develop. And if there's something you're not very good at today, you can become better at it. Will you become the best in the world at it? You know, maybe not. But 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 you but you can become a heck of a lot better at it if you try, and we we all deserve to be just a little bit more patient with ourselves when it comes to our abilities because, really, they they do take time, and and everybody can have that experience of cringing, everybody believe me. Yeah yeah, uh, to hear that intelligence isn't something that's fixed or that willpower isn't something that's fixed. It, it feels so liberating and almost like, are you sure? Are you sure that's my right. information? Um, but it's, yeah. it's really cool to hear. It is. It I is. want to rewind a little bit and kind of go back to the, the being good versus getting better because I've, I've shared mm-hmm. this concept with a couple of my friends and I can remember the looks on their face distinctively were like, dude, that's incredible. Like That's genius, being good versus getting better. And, and almost in a sense that where they just – it, it, it was almost a, a moment, like a facial expression of, of no expression mm-hmm. at first because it was like that, oh, shit moment, that's me, I'm trying to be good, and then like, right. wait a second, there, there's another way to, that I can try to get better. And I think that, speaking of America and speaking of, of a culture, I think that we, we get the idea overall that we shouldn't show weakness. And it's true for yeah. guys in particular, and it's true for women also, and especially just anybody in a position of, of power. And I think it makes, us re- it makes it really hard for us to be vulnerable and ask for advice, especially when we're going through challenging times. Um, and, yeah. and I think it also creates this, this feeling of shame, this feeling of I'm not good enough kind of out as I, as I am and I need to go, you know, be by myself and kind of deal with this on my own because I'm not good enough. And I love mm-hmm. the idea of thinking, okay, well, it's, it's not so much am I good enough or am I not good enough. It's about, you know, getting better, that's not a fixed, my self-worth is not a fixed point that's going to stay like that forever. It depends on how I deal with what I'm going through. 
Um, so I want to appreciate you for, for bringing that up. It really, it really resonates, and I know as a culture we can feel that. I think that there, I want to say two things that, that about what you said because I think it's so true. You know, we do feel like we should be doing so, – so actually I want to say a bunch of things because I think you, you hit on so many important points that, that, that uh, we feel like we should be doing things without help. We feel in this country, again, we find that people tend to have what we call the inverse uh, effort rule, which basically means if you're really good at something, you don't need to work hard at it. That's what it means to be really good at something, right? So we even have expressions like book smart, which, by the way, drives me absolutely insane. Like, as, so, and, and book smart sort of implies, well, the person's not really smart, but, you know, they work really hard and they read a lot of books, and so it makes it seem like they're smart. Well, what is smart then? You know, if it, I mean, what does it mean to be really? Is that what we mean that smart is, that, that, that you know, you can do, you know, long division in your sleep when you're three and that means that you're smart. I mean, that's just a useless way to think about what it means. First of all, being smart doesn't work like that at all, you know, and, and I think that, that book smart is really good smart, right? And here's somebody who is actually, you know, striving and, and seeking to improve themselves and developing their knowledge. That person is just smart. So, so, and they're getting smarter, you know, which is really what's so great about book smart. So, so I think that we do, um, we do have this feeling like, like if we have to work hard at something or if we have to ask people for help, if we have to ask for guidance um, and seek advice from experts, then it means that we're not good at it. And, and really that is just foolish. And it's not a universal belief, by the way. So, so one of the reasons that Asian students, out, one of the major reasons that Asian students outperform American students in things like math and science is that they don't believe that. You know, in their culture, effort is, is considered to be the root of all success. And it turns out that math and science are the kinds of things where if you work really hard and you hang in there, you master them. And so, you know, we, we, we can't, in this culture, we, we have this feeling like people actually, they say this all the time, I'm not a math person. There's no such thing as a math person. You know, if you're not a math person, what that means is that you haven't worked very hard at, at mastering math. And maybe it's because you don't like it very much, and that's fine. That's, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be great at math if you don't want to be, but, but you could be. You know, you could be much better at math than you are right now if you, if, you, if you tried. The problem is that we assume if math doesn't come to us easily, we must not be good at it. And that's really wrong. That's not how math works. That's not how science works. That's not how anything works. Now, if you're from a culture that people don't believe that, right, they believe that being good at math and science is a product of effort, not ability, then when things get difficult, they just increase their effort. And this is why. I mean, they don't have any special genes that make them better at math or, 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 or science. What they have is a set of beliefs that turn out to be right um, that, that help them to hang in there when the going gets tough until they master it. So, so I think that's really important that getting rid of this notion that, that if we have to work hard at something or if we have to seek help, uh, that means you're not good at something. That's not what that means. That means that you're smart enough to recognize that you need help. And, and that's, that's an awesome thing. And, and, and then the other thing that I want to point out is that we've been, the flip side of it is, well, sometimes we feel that we're embarrassed, right, to, to ask for help because how will it look? that I'm asking for help. And this is one of those funny things that I wish, you know, again, it's why I kind of got into the business of writing about science rather than, than conducting as much of it as I used to. Because I want to let people know, we've done studies looking at how people perceive other people when they ask them for help. So, so in fact, if you come to somebody and you ask them for help on something, uh, do they think you're dumb? 
do they think you you know do they see you in a negative light because you asked for help and the answer is an, a resounding no but in fact that's not how we see people who ask us for help we see them as motivated we see them as determined we admire them for seeking help because we realize that on some level it takes some balls to, to, to admit, like, I need help with this. So actually, it turns out that people who seek help are admired by the people they ask for help. It's, so it's the opposite of what we fear. Right? Nobody thinks badly of you because you're, seek, you're seeking help. They, they admire you for it. They think it makes you smart and motivated and determined. So, 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 so for, for both of those reasons, we need to kind of get rid of this idea that seeking expertise or, or you know, admitting, I don't know this, somehow puts us at a disadvantage. It doesn't. It puts you at a huge advantage because now you can start to get better. And now you can start to actually take those steps to master things. And, and, I, and I, I agree with you so much that, that, we, that, we, that there is this moment, and I've experienced it myself, where you're kind of – feel like it's sort of taking off the be good hat and putting on the get better hat. And it really feels like a weight is lifted off your shoulders. Because every once in a while, I'll even catch myself, certainly, in back in a be good mindset where I'm thinking about what I'm doing in be yeah. good terms. And, and I can feel the, the weight of that and, and, and how self-punishing it is. And, and it makes you feel anxious. It makes you feel helpless. It makes you feel dejected. And then I'll remind myself, hang on, hang on, you know, okay, that did not go as well as I had hoped it would. But remember, this is not about proving to everybody that you are the best at, you know, whatever. This is about getting better and you're learning. And, and, you know, and I, and, and so, and you, once you say that to yourself, you can actually feel the weight coming off your shoulders. I mean, it has a real physical feeling to it where everything feels like it's opening up again and, and you can focus on the future again. And again, it's not that you won't experience disappointment, but it, but then that disappointment kind of fuels you to get back to work rather than makes you feel like I should just kind of sit on the couch and eat chips and why bother, right? So, so it, it kind of energizes you when, when you have setbacks rather than kind of, you know, pulling you down. If you just remember to think about what you're doing in terms of progress, it's, it's really an incredible feeling. And it's, and it's a practice that you, you get better and better at. I mean, you, you really kind of have to deliberately remind yourself of this new way of thinking. And over time, it becomes more and more automatic. Um, but it makes, a, it makes an extraordinary uh, difference in, in, in how we see what we're doing and how we are able to enjoy what we're doing um, and, and really kind of keep going even when things are difficult. And, the, and there are real obstacles out there that young people face. Um, you know, in this economy, in this environment, there's a lot of change. And, uh, and really it's sort of, you know, the how do you equip yourself for that? I think this is really one of the best ways, psychologically speaking, you can equip yourself for that journey um, is to just stop thinking about everything you do in terms of being, you know, the, the dancing the hardest and being the best and really think about it as a journey of growth. Um, it has no downside. <laughs> really, you know, in study after study, I mean, it's just the people, every, everything we've looked at to see how does thinking in terms of getting better affect you, it, it's, all, it's just all good. You know, you, 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 it, it encourages deeper thinking. Um, people retain information longer. They perform better. They enjoy what they do more. Uh, you know, just across the board, when they, when they, they experience depression, uh, less frequently. When they do experience it, it's for shorter episodes, and it actually tends to fuel their like problem solving. So instead of 
again, like lying around, you know, on the couch and eating chips, they actually kind of get up and try to solve the problem. So you end up sort of having, you know, far greater well-being as well as sort of professional and personal success. Uh, when you think it's a, it's a subtle shift, but it's a really, really powerful one. Yeah, I want to be conscious of the time because I do have a couple more questions that I'd love to get sure. out there because I feel like the information is really valuable. But before we okay. move on, I want to say, so what's the action step? So we know, okay, be good versus getting better. Getting better is the mm-hmm. way to go. And when people are done listening to this call, they, they can re-listen to it again and, and go back and pay attention to, to the theory. But what's the action step they can take in their life? Is it as simple as, you know, creating some kind of, reminder in their head to switch to that new mindset or is there something else you recommend from an actionable standpoint that they can do to really embody this philosophy? Well, one of the things, I think it is true that, that reminding yourself is very helpful. One of the things that I, I advocate doing is creating what are we call if-then plans. So it's, uh, it's basically you say to yourself, well, if I do this, then I'll do this other thing. So you say, well, if I'm thinking, if I catch myself thinking in terms of being good, then I'll remind myself. And one of the ways to to do that, I think, most effectively is to actually do just a little bit of um, a journaling or, or or something like that. And, and you can and I would suggest coming back to this um, with whatever frequency seems to feel good to you. We know that um, there's no magic recipe for how often people should journal or how often people should do um, the kinds of exercises that we develop in psychology. Um, in fact, it, it seems to be extremely personal because, you, you know, if you, if you get people to do things too often, then they, then they feel like this is pointless and they start to get bored by it. <laughs> so, so you kind of kind of like march to your own drummer here and do it as often as you feel valuable. But I think it's very useful to write out your goals, the, the major goals you have, and, and they can be long-term goals. Um, and they can, or short-term goals, so goals you have in the next week, the next month, next year, the next 10 years, whatever you're thinking about, and maybe a mix of some short-term goals and some long-term goals. And write them out the way you would normally just say it to yourself, you know. So I want to go to medical school. I want to have a, a happy, you know, uh, be, in a, be in a happy relationship. I want to, um, you know, be a good citizen in my community, blah, blah, blah. That's usually how we say things, right? We, we, we usually say our goals in terms of I want to be X, I want to have X, um, and, and so write them out that way, the way you normally would think. And odds are very good that you, the way you're normally thinking about them is kind of in a be good way, right? I want to be this. I want to have this. I want to be successful. I want to, uh, you know, have this relationship. And then try rewriting them in a get better way. So, so instead of saying, I want to be, you know, I want to have a, you know, uh, I want to graduate, you know, graduate from medical school and be a doctor. You, you rephrase it as, I want to learn and develop my, my skills as you know, a medical professional. Or instead of saying, I want to have a great relationship, I want to learn and develop my uh, ability to, to create and sustain relationships. So it's a subtle thing where you're just sort of saying, okay, I'm going to take this thing where I've talked only about it as an outcome. Right, like, you know, I, I want to arrive at this moment. And all I'm thinking about is this moment that I want to arrive at. And I'm not thinking about the journey that takes me to the moment. And that's what we need to be thinking about. So 
So refocusing on the journey and saying, all right, I want to learn to be this. I want to develop my skills. I want to develop my, if you want to be an entrepreneur and have a successful business, I want to develop my entrepreneurial skills so that I can have the best, you know, most thriving business I can create. Right? So it's a, it's a subtle shift, but every time you feel yourself then thinking about your goal, and you say, okay, well, I, you know, my goal was to be a successful entrepreneur by the time I was 30. And then you say, oh, wait a minute, no. My goal is to develop my entrepreneurial skills so that I can be the best entrepreneur I can be. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a very powerful shift in language that really kind of, it kicks, it, it actually on a, uh, you know, on, on a level, the brain level is sort of reorganizing how you're thinking about everything. So I think that is one sort of concrete step that everybody can take where they, and, and if you want to then, you can either put those, you know, new versions of your goals up somewhere where you're looking at it all the time, or you can just repeat the exercise um, because you know, maybe a month from now you're going to be focused on slightly different goals. You want to just keep coming back to that process of sort of writing out your goal however you would write it and then saying, all right, now let me look at that. Have I expressed that in a get better way? Um, and, and if not, let me rephrase that in a get better way. And, re and then you use that as the reminder to yourself. I have to remember. And it's really important, I think, when there are setbacks. When something doesn't go your way and you're disappointed, to, to, to take that moment in particular to remind yourself that it's about getting better and not being good is very important. Because it's usually when that be good mentality kind of hits us the hardest is when we're, we're struggling. Um, so, so I think that's, I think that, and then it's just really practice. It's practice, practice, practice. The more you do it, the more automatic it becomes until eventually you're just somebody who thinks and get better language all the time. Um, and, and that's how things work. And that's how habits become habits with repetition. So just keep repeating it. In the beginning, it'll be difficult because you've probably lived most of your life thinking in be good terms. And that's just because that's what your environment taught you to do. Um, so you've got it, you know, William James said, um, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't remember the exact quote, but that habits are like a, a piece, folding a piece of paper. You know, when you, when you have a, just a plain piece of paper and you kind of fold it in half and then you drop it, it'll, it'll, keep, it'll keep folding itself on that, in that same spot, right? It'll keep bending on that crease that you've made. Mm. And habits are like that, right? They're like creases. And the paper keeps wanting to fold in the same place. And so to get rid of the habit, what we need to be doing is ironing out that crease over time and, and then putting a new crease in somewhere else where the good habit will be, right? So, so it's, a, it's a process that requires patience. A lot of times we feel like, okay, I've had the insight. I know that I'm supposed to think in terms of getting better instead of being good, so now I'm cured. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that's not how it's going to work because our brains are creatures of habit. And, and so you're going to be uh, you know, automatically drifting back to the old way of thinking. And so in the beginning, it's going to take really a lot of deliberate effort on your part to retrain your brain, to think about your goals in a different way. It gets easier and easier the more you do it, and eventually it is second nature because you've made a new fold and you've ironed out the old one. Um, but, but I think, again, you know, I just caution people to be patient. All this stuff you read about, like it takes 30 days to form a habit, it takes 60 days to form a habit, that is all bogus. It takes however long it takes. <laughs> and so you know, you just stick with it. And, 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 and it gets easier and easier. That's the one thing I can promise you. It gets easier and easier the more you do it.
Yeah, well, I want to thank you both on behalf of myself and on everyone who's listening for that information that you just shared because that is uh, super powerful. And I want to draw one thank distinction you. that that you made, which maybe you don't realize how powerful it is, um, or at least how powerful it's been for me, and I trust a lot of young adults' lives as well, which is that our thoughts um, are habits, their mental habits. And growing up, I didn't realize that I was different from my thoughts and that thoughts were something that, you know, literally were habits. And it took me traveling to Europe for five weeks alone by myself in order to start to break those mental patterns in my head, those mental habits. Sure. And to say, oh, mm-hmm. holy crap, wait, if I'm not my thoughts, that literally felt like I can do whatever I want with my life. Because if I, up until then, I had always limited my, my kind of my view of myself by the thoughts that I had in my head and kind of just the way that you were describing that piece of paper being folded over and over again and then dropped and how Mm -hmm. when it's dropped, it's going to fall into that crease. That to me was my experience with my mental habits, with my, with my thoughts and to say, okay, well being, um, you know, kind of getting better is just one of those habits, but it's a habit of the mind, not so much, you know, perhaps reminding ourselves of these things, um, can be a habit of the mind also, that to me is a really powerful distinction for people to understand. Um, so I, want to, again, I think that's, thank you. Yeah. that's great. I just wanted to say, you know, it is true. We, we have choices about our thoughts, and we don't feel like that. And you had that, that experience where you had that realization that I, I can choose to think another way. Um, and we're not just passive recipients of our thoughts, but we can actually make choices that bring about different thoughts. And, and I think that's really empowering. And, and I'm, I'm so – thank you for bringing, mentioning your experience because I think that's a really important point. Awesome, yeah. And so an, another thing that I think a lot of young adults are, are facing is, especially at this kind of period of our life, is it's, it's an identity quest. It's not crisis, right? Where it's like you're trying to figure mm-hmm. out who are we and what are we here to do. And, and I didn't realize that that's what I was going through, you know, five or six or seven years ago. Um, who am I? What am I here to do? Does my life have a purpose? What is it all about? And I think one of the reasons it's, it's so hard to figure this out is because um, pop culture and kind of the world we live in is persistently attacking us with these unrealistic ideas about what it means to be happy and successful and that right. there's these, you know, there's these big corporations with, you know, their own motives and, um, and we're in a vulnerable stage in our life and they realize that and I do think they exploit our vulnerability and promote, you know, the attainment of wealth and fame and beauty because those are big industries. I've heard that um, the cosmetic sure. industry is like $20 billion a year, and the, the diet industry is $30 billion a year. Um, it's crazy, right? So to me, right. I, I think that it so heavily affects, you know, these, these superficial values. I think they so heavily affect not just our spending habits, but also our attitudes, our social interactions, and our understandings of who we are and where we should be in life. And that's, that's not a coincidence. You know, these things were, were so purposely positioned by big corporations and we're, we're raising a society that, you know, operates in this way. And I think it's really important for us to understand where our, you know, in a sense, motivations or desires or goals come from. And I wanted to I ask think that's you, very, you know. I, what, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd love for your thoughts on any of that, but then kind of in particularly to segment into, so what goals are worth setting? Sure. I, I agree with you. I think that, that you know, in the end of the day, it, 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 it's not good for uh, capitalism, for, uh, for people to 
preach self-acceptance and, and self-compassion because, you know, the message there is you don't need anything. You know, you're, 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 you know you're, you're great the way you are and you just need to sort of develop you to the, to the most of you. Well, that doesn't require buying anything or having anything in particular and so there's nothing to, to fix. So, you know, they can't sell you anything then. <laughs> there's nothing to fix. So, so of course, you know, we're, we're kind of drawn by, by advertising and all the things to, to extrinsic goals, right, to goals that are about uh, wealth um, and power and popularity and beauty and, and fame. And these are all goals that at the end of the day are about sort of validating, validating yourself through the eyes of others, right? So other people will think well of me if X, you know, if, I, if I'm beautiful, if I'm famous, if I'm powerful, um, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy beyond what anybody needs to actually, you know, have their needs met. So, so, so but, but, but this is, of course, it's all around you. So, of course, we think that, that happiness lies in those directions and pursuing those goals. Um, what's funny to me about that is that all it takes is like a minute for somebody to say, well, okay, if those things make you happy, then name one famous person who seems like they're really happy and they don't have any serious hang-ups at all. Mm-hmm. And you can't. I mean, I mean, it's hard to think of somebody who's, you know, achieved, it's like, oh, you know, well, if, if fame makes you happy, then Lindsay Lohan should be the most happy person on the planet. <laughs> and yet, I mean, clearly she's not, right? You know, I mean, she's got, she's got some serious things going on in her life. And, 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 and time and again, you know, you just, you find that it's, it's more often it's the reverse is true, that we're, we're just so familiar with how famous people are actually miserable how they, how, or how they have problems with drugs or how they have, you know, nine marriages that constantly fail or, I mean, they, they, or they, they, they dealt with depression. And so, 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 so what's wrong with this picture, right, that we think, well, hang on, this is what we're supposed to do to feel happy, but yet look at the people who seem to have attained those states. Do they look happy? Uh, so it turns out that, that that's not, doesn't make you happy, um, not real happy with not authentically happy, not, not a sense of, of well-being. What does make you happy, what our research suggests, is that the goals that satisfy your sort of basic human needs as a person are the goals that when you achieve them, or even just in the course of pursuing those goals, uh, we get more authentic happiness, more well-being, a, more, a, a better sense of self and self-worth. Um, there are basically three kinds of needs, the basic needs that we talk about. One is the need for what we call competence, but this is basically the need to sort of develop and grow your, your knowledge, your skills. And then, you know, that it's that enjoyment we feel when, you know, you have worked really hard to become good at something and you get to use that skill. Um, that, that satisfaction that you get from that or the satisfaction you get from developing skills and, and knowledge, that's, uh, those kinds of goals make you authentically happy when you pursue them. A second basic need is relatedness or belonging, so that kind of connection to each other. So when we pursue goals that are about creating or sustaining relationships, uh, those make us authentically happy. And then finally, the last one is autonomy. And when psychologists use that word, they don't mean independent. Right? They don't mean that you do things by yourself. What they mean, autonomy means doing things that f- reflect you, who you are. 
your values, your preferences, your attitudes, you know, that just feel like they're authentic choices that are coming from inside you rather than being superimposed on you by other people. Um, so when we choose goals that, that fulfill that sense of autonomy by being kind of true to who we are and pursuing our interests and, and our values and things that are important to us, that leads to authentic happiness. The problem with the other goals, the extrinsic goals, right, the ones that are about getting validation from other people, like wealth and fame and popularity and power. The problem is that they're they, they, not only that they don't make you happy, right, I mean, you get like a moment of happiness when you, you know, when you, you know, have that, oh, you really wanted to, you know, be in an Academy Award, and so, oh, you got it, and it was great, and I'm sure you're really happy for the rest of the evening, but what happens the next day? We find that people are not really happy anymore, you know, after it, it, it kind of goes away. It's very fleeting, that sense of happiness. So the problem with those kinds of goals is not only do they not make you sort of authentically, lastingly happy, you know, and really increase your well-being, but they're actually actively bad for you in the sense that they preoccupy you. So, you're, you know, people who are so obsessed with getting validation don't pursue the goals they, need to pe- they really need to be pursuing. Right, the ones that are about self-development, about connection with other people, and about making authentic choices that are based on who you are. So we get so busy pursuing these goals that really are never going to make you happy. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we think, look, at, look at people who win the lottery. You know, they think, oh, I'm in millions of dollars. And then you find that about, within about a year, their happiness levels actually go back to where they were originally before they won the lottery, if not lower. In fact, there are many sorts of people who said, you know, winning the lottery was the worst thing that happened to me. So, so it's, you know, and, and you look at many examples of famous people and you can see how miserable they are. And what I always think is, you know, I feel so sad for that person because they're so, you know, they're so wrapped up in that same business that they're not doing probably the things that would actually make them happy, that they don't have authentic, you know, satisfying relationships. They're not actually figuring out who they are and what they really want and what speaks to them, you know, because they're just constantly, you know, wor- worried about the external world in, in a way that is really damaging. So that's, you know, another, I think, really important piece of advice. You know, when you're trying to figure out what to do, you know, we all need, we all want to make enough money to be comfortable. We all certainly want to have, you know, um, people like us. Those are all kind of basic human, you know, desires. But really when you think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life, it's a thing worthwhile to ask, you know, will this satisfy my real needs for, for autonomy, for connectedness, um, and, and for developing myself? And, and while you're young, you know, set off on a path that will. I mean, like I said, that was kind of, for me, what was missing. I felt that lack of connection in a big way in my own career. And so I had to kind of shift careers and do something a little different so I could feel more connected to people. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing you need to be sort of open to and try to figure out, you know, am I being true to what my basic needs are as a person on this path that I'm setting for myself? And will this, 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 this career path, you know, fulfill those needs for me? And if not, you know, how will I then get those needs met? Because, you know, there's something we all really need in order to feel, feel real, to really flourish, as Marty Seligman would say, to feel really lasting well-being. Yeah, that that's the roadmap. Like as far as I see it, you know, my personal opinion, what what you just shared is is such a major component to the roadmap for young adults. That understanding that you know autonomy, connectedness, development, those are the types of things that will bring us happiness, and that we really need to define success for ourselves and not listen to what 
society says or what our family or our culture says is success and really say, okay, personally, what does it for me? Um, Heidi, I want to honor your time. I know we're almost <laughs> at the hour. And I, I uh-huh. have a lot more that we could talk about, so I just want to check in with you and, and see um, if you need to go right now or if you have a time for another question or I, what, what your I, I, I can. I actually can do one short one. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's go with this. Like I have this, you know, bunch of questions here. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about all of them. But let's let's go with this. Um, one of the uh, one of the paradoxes of today, I think, is that we we have more options than ever before in history. Um, yet mm-hmm. at the same time, all those options are making us really anxious and uncertain and afraid to pick any option because we feel like it's going to be the wrong option and that if we choose this wrong option as a young adult, it's going to dictate the future, you know, decades, our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, and we're kind of going to be stuck because of this. And you spoke mm-hmm. about it kind of earlier, how, you know, figuring out what your own options were um, and, and how to deal with that. But one of the um, blogs I've seen you write about is um, how keeping your options open can be a bad thing. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? Sure. You know, I think that the, the fear of options, there's, there's been a, a lot of work looking at how people actually react to having a lot of choices. And it turns out that it's, you know, what you're talking about is, 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 is kind of fairly universal, that, that, having, see that feeling of having too many choices makes people very anxious. It makes them anxious because they, they feel like there's so many ways to be wrong. Right? That, and, and, and it sort of overwhelms them because they can, you know, when you only have two options, you can kind of think very thoroughly about each option and then make it what you feel like at least is a, a reasoned decision. But when you have lots of options, you can't possibly thoroughly consider every single option. Right? So you kind of are, you have the feeling that you're flying a little bit blind um, when you're making a choice. And, you, and then you have this regret then about the things you're not choosing. Right, and the, all the paths you're not taking, and that's I think very, very common. Um, there, the one one good way to try to get around that, I think, um, we know that that when you're anxious uh, and thinking about everything you have to lose by not making the right choice, that makes that really kind of heightens the problem. One strategy you can use to kind of make your choices a little bit that that making of choices a little bit easier is to to focus instead on everything you have to gain. So what do I have to gain by making this choice rather than this other one? Um, that We call it putting yourself in a promotion focus, but the, but the basic idea is that, uh, is that you're kind of focusing on what you have to gain rather than what you have to lose. And when you do that, people become much more comfortable with the idea of having lots of options and pursuing lots of options and maybe trying on different alternatives. Um, it does turn out, as I've written about, as you said, um, that, that, that we when we ha- when we don't make an, uh, a decision and stick to it, it it's, it's, it's a problem. Um, keeping your options open is a bad idea. It sounds good. Um, and we feel like, well, we'll just sort of try something on for a little while without really committing to it. The problem is that it's kind of a disaster usually. Um, what happens when people don't commit. There's something that we call the, the psychologists call the psychological immune system. It's a, it's a really powerful set of changes that happen in your brain once um, you've committed to a course of action. So you commit to do something. Okay, like I'm deciding, you know, I remember when I was going on as an undergrad and I was thinking about, well, should I go to, you know, Penn or, or Princeton? I wanted to go close to home. And I was deciding between these two schools and I, uh, and I you know, oh, I wasn't sure. I mean, they're, they were so different and they had different qualities and then labor. And I decided to go to Penn. 
and and I decided to go to Penn, and suddenly it was like once I committed, it was like why you know suddenly I felt like how could I have ever thought about going to any other school? Penn is obviously the best school in the world, and all those other schools stink. And it turns out we all do this. If you ask freshmen at any college, like to think back about the choice, and they'll say, oh, I can't believe I even ever thought about going to that other place, right? So once you've committed to something, this is something your brain does to kind of ease that transition for you, right? And it says, okay, now I'm going to just focus on all the reasons why the choice I made is great, and the other choices were all stinky, right? Which is, of course, not how you were thinking about it before. But this is actually a psychologically a very good thing, because what it does is it, it, it gets rid of regrets, and which can, can kind of stymie your progress. And it also makes you really optimistic and energized and motivated to then tackle that thing that you said you were going to do, that you committed to doing. When people don't commit, when they just say, oh, well, I'll try this, and, you know, in the, but I can always back out if I don't want to. Well, guess what? They, they have regret immediately because they, they haven't really committed and they're not optimistic, they don't put in the effort, right? So it's like that whole system in your brain that is designed to make you succeed at the things you've committed to doesn't get engaged. And so we kind of, and, and so then that, maybe that thing you tried, uh, it doesn't seem to be working. Well, there's a reason it's not working. Your heart isn't in it. You're not all in, you know, and you have to really be all in for something, you know, if it's a really something you're seriously considering doing. You have to go all in or you're probably going to fail because you're not taking advantage of everything, you're, of, of everything the, the effort, the attention, the motivation, all the things that your brain would throw at the problem because you've committed to it. Well, it's not going to do that because right? you haven't committed. So it's not really sure what's going on. So. So that is really a dangerous thing about this sort of keeping your, your, your options open. What will end up happening in many cases when we do that is that we, we really don't give it our all, and so you, you don't really get a true sense of how things would have worked if you had been truly committed to it in the first place. Now, I will say that it is very good to, re, to, to check in with yourself, right? And so, so to fully commit to things, but then to say, okay, well, I'm going to fully commit to this course of action. I'm going to give this you know, I'm thinking of starting up a, you know, a company. I'm thinking of starting a, a website. I'm thinking of, do, of, of, of you know, going back to graduate school and maybe you know, doing X. So you know what? I'm going to fully commit to this. But a year from now or six months from now or whatever makes sense, I'm going to write it on my calendar to check in with myself hmm. about whether or not I still feel like this was a good idea. Right, like do I, am I enjoying it? Is it what I thought it was going to be? Um, I think that's really important because it's not that you should commit to things and never, ever revise your plan, never, ever change. I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if that's what I thought. Right? It, I changed careers because I did check in with myself and I found that my job wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. So it's important to, to assess from time to time with how things are going and to maybe change gears if that's what you need to do. But in the beginning, go all in. You know, it's really commit to something for a time and say, I'm going to give myself at least this long and then I'm going to evaluate again and see if I, I want to continue on this path. I think that's the combination that really leads to success rather than sort of timidly sticking one toe in. Jump all in, but then remember that you don't have to stay in if it doesn't work out for you, if it's not what you thought it was going to be, if it's not making you happy. You can always, you can always change paths, but just really commit to the path you're on while you're on it. Yeah, that seems so valuable, the idea of fully committing, fully immersing oneself in what they're doing, and then kind of having that foresight to say, okay, well, in 
you know, six months, I'm going to assess and kind of analyze and just Mm -hmm. evaluate where I am and kind of check in with ourselves. So, um, fantastic. Well, hey, I just want to thank you again, both on behalf of myself and everyone who's listening to this call. You're you were one of the people I was most excited about to speak uh, thanks with. Thanks so um, much, Jacob. Uh, yeah, out of all the people on my list, just because of that, you know, one, the content that, and the, kind of the wisdom that you have, and then in your super fun and personable way of <laughs> offering it, you know, and being yourself and being authentic in that process. So um, I thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. It's, a, it's a huge honor, and I'm excited to, you know, share this call with people and also direct people in, in the direction of, of more of your wisdom, and we'll put some links and some more information about how they can kind of just become involved in what you're doing and, and kind of look to you Great. for more guidance in the future. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jacob, and thanks everybody who's listening, and best of luck. Being good versus getting better. So there's more than one way to look at the things you do. The first way is the be good way, and with this mindset, we spend our energy trying to prove that we're good. Now this can make us feel really anxious and helpless and dejected. The second way is that we can look at things with a get better mindset, and in this way of looking at things, we spend our energy trying to improve versus prove. Now, the get better mindset helps us cope with uncertainty better, helps us move through our challenges more effectively, and even ultimately perform better. It allows deeper thinking, a longer retainment of information, and depression is less frequent and for shorter episodes with the get better mindset. There's literally no downfall to looking at things this way. Now, here's how you can use this. Write out your major goals, whether they're long or short term, and write out the way you would normally say them. So if you notice the way you're writing them is in the be good way, rewrite them in the get better way. Instead of saying, I want to graduate from medical school and be a doctor, say, I want to grow and develop my skills as a medical professional. Another example is, instead of saying, I want to have a great relationship, say, I want to learn and grow my ability to create and sustain great relationships. You get it? We're basically just taking it from focusing on the outcome and reframing it to focus on the journey. This is a big idea that we hear over and over again by some of these experts. It's important to remind yourself of this often, so you can put new versions of your goals in places that you'll see frequently, and you can also redo this exercise each month since your goals will shift. Big idea number two, what you do versus what you are. Our intuition about success and failure is wrong. Success is not about innate ability. It's not about brilliance. People who get very good at what they do do so through effort and experience. We all know someone who's super smart, but not successful. Success is about what you do much more than what you are. Effort, persistence, using effective strategies, seeking guidance from experts, being able to cope with setbacks, seizing opportunities, planning, this is what leads to success. So much of our beliefs are culturally relevant though. For instance, our culture often leads us to believe that if you're really good at something, it means that you shouldn't need to work hard at it, and that's bullshit. Get rid of the notion that if you need to reach out for help, you're not smart. Actually, studies show that most of the time when you ask someone for help, they don't see you as dumb and weak, they admire you and see you as motivated and determined. Big idea number three, intrinsic versus extrinsic. So what kind of goals are you setting? Extrinsic goals are based on power, popularity, beauty, and wealth. It's all about validating yourself through the eyes of others. 
But think of the most famous celebrities that you know, the ones who are balling and on the tabloid covers and think about, are they the ones who actually seem happy even though they have the power, the popularity, the beauty and the wealth? Exactly. Not only do these goals not make us happy for long, but research shows that they actually preoccupy us and keep us from pursuing goals that do make us happy. And those goals are called intrinsic goals. This is a huge idea. So intrinsic goals, on the other hand, are goals which satisfy our basic human needs. And the big three types of intrinsic goals are, one, competence, which is the ability to grow your skills. Two, relatedness, which is what makes you feel connected. And number three is autonomy, doing things that are true to who you are and reflect your values, your preferences, and your attitudes. So will the decisions that you make for your life satisfy your needs for competence, relatedness, and autonomy? Think about these things as you're figuring out what you want to do with the rest of your life. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, And we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other and living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.